Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everyone. Looks like the first round of uh, winter ills have uh, swept through some of the congregation. I know there's a few people sick today, not able to make it. Anyway, let me pray. Um, if the Bible is a set of interconnected mountain ranges that bring you to heaven, there's no doubt we're at Mount Everest Base Camp at the moment. It is a great climb that we're going to go through these next three weeks, but like Mount Everest, it's not necessarily easy, but the view at the top is amazing. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this profound chapter of scripture which really is in so many ways the summit of explanation and teaching about the gospel that's in Romans and so as I begin uh, the journey up help us to understand what you've got to say to us here today and may your spirit be powerfully at work in our lives in Jesus name amen well, as we begin this journey in Romans 8, I've got a very simple question for us, which is this. Is it possible to change who we are? 
It's a great question to ask, and I also think it's one that the world is fascinated by. Uh, how often do you see photos of before and after? And there's all sorts of photos that you'll see of before and after. You'll see people who've been on diets. I did like one. Uh, the photo was of a guy that looked exactly the same, and that's what he said, uh, I've lost two weeks of my life. You see them also if people have been to the dentist, and the not-so-subtle message being, buy what we can sell, your life will be changed. And it's interesting with um, artificial technology these days, what you can do. Apparently, that's what uh, Tom Cruise looked like before he went to the dentist. Um, it did make me laugh. But uh, I'm going to show you a couple of photos of before and after. One is the difference a haircut can make. And uh, this guy had been growing his hair for 11 years and in 30 minutes was completely transformed. Don't you love that photo? But the one I love the most um, is of a guy who was homeless and was transformed by a very kind barber. And he took this guy from literally looking like a guy who was living on the streets, because that's what he was, to a bit of a hipster. And it's quite a remarkable photo of what took place. Um, and that is the same guy. And I just think, praise God for that barber who showed the care to just transform that guy. Now, what we're looking at here in these photos are external changes. The question of can you change, I think all of us would know, that often haunts us when we grapple with issues in our lives is it's the issues within about who we are as people. The things that control us, the addictions, uh, the habits that we think, is it possible to change who I am? And so that's the question I want us to think about as we go through this first section, can we change who we are? And I know that uh, from my own pastoral interactions with people here in the parish, there's all sorts of issues that we struggle with uh, here in Manly. Uh, there's people who will struggle with anger, and when it gets out of control, there's a sense of um, self-loathing that takes place. They've done it again. Uh, there's people who struggle with a critical spirit, and it just comes too naturally to them. Uh, they just find it so easy to be negative and pull people down. Uh, there's people who have addictions in terms of porn, and it's just a great struggle. Uh, it's one of the great uh, issues that we're confronted with, with the rise of technology and screens. Uh, there's people who struggle with peasing people. Uh, they just find it very difficult to say no, and that might seem a good thing to help people, but it can be actually a very debilitating thing to be someone who just wants to please others. Uh, there's people who are workaholics. Um, often undiagnosed and it's just something they feel compelled to do but there's uh, a sense of which they have no boundaries in their life and it does cause all sorts of problems and damages particularly in relationships and marriages. Uh, there's people who struggle with alcohol I know here in the parish. Um, it's one of the quiet killers of people and quiet things that people can use to give relief from the supposed or the pain that they're feeling but also it comes with very negative side effects. And there's also people, and there's just been a rise of this in terms of those who struggle with fear and anxiety. Uh, it's one of the modern issues in terms of mental health that people really do find uh, that grip them, uh, and it can be also very debilitating. And you wonder with these issues that are obviously very deep, can we actually change? And does the gospel impact us? Will it actually do a work in us? Now, we've just heard a wonderful testimony from Shaley uh, of how God has changed her. 
as she came to be part of the fellowship here. And if I can just say to all the scripture teachers here, did you note uh, that she learnt first about the Christian faith through scripture? And uh, I think that's a great encouragement to those who do teach scripture. Uh, it actually does have an impact. Uh, it is a wonderful ministry. But God has slowly, as the gospel has come to life in her life, slowly changed her life. And I want to say today, we can change. And Romans 8, I think, has got some very important things to say to us on this very important of questions. And if I can just go back uh, and take us back to um, the beginning of the series and bring us up to date in terms of being at base camp at Mount Everest. Uh, what we saw, and I went through this two weeks ago, is chapters 1 to 3 proclaim to us there is a God who is over us. He is our righteous judge. He is holy. And then we saw the incredible work that Christ has done for us. And so God is not just over us, God is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we are called to do is to repent and to believe, to put our trust in Him. And He is for us in Christ. And what we're going to see today in Romans 8 is that not just that He is for us, but incredibly He works in us. And that is by His wonderful Holy Spirit. So firstly, uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 4 because this in many ways is a hinge between what he's been teaching about from chapter 3 and then what he goes into here in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit in us and if you've got your Bibles do open up we're at Romans chapter 8 and I've got on the screen there verses 1 and 2 and let me just say if Romans 8 is Mount Everest uh, this is really one of the great statements in the chapter now there's lots of them but this is one of them <laughs> Romans 8 verse 1 to uh, 2 I've got on the screen. Let me read you the first verse. Therefore, in other words, in view of all that I've said about the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I just want you to sit in those words for a moment. I find them powerful, I find them definitive, there is no sense of uh, doubt in Paul's mind, it is liberating, there is no condemnation, it's also incredibly comforting. John Stott, the uh, great Anglican preacher, he's gone to be with the Lord now, described Romans chapter 8 as a comfortable pillow that you can lie your head down on. And there's no doubt this verse is a verse of comfort. And I want us to say together, what is Paul saying to us? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you are in Christ here today, it's because God has found you. If you are in Christ today, it's because God has brought you home to that point of trusting in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got a new identity and a new status before Him where you can say... There is no longer any condemnation for me. I am in Christ. It is wonderful. Now that's how this chapter begins. What a beautiful positive note of assurance. God is for us in Christ. I'm going to move over verses 3 and 4 because that in many ways is tied up with the same ideas of verse 1 and 2 and move us to verses 5 to 17. Now, when you get to this next section, which we read, and Peter read it very well, but you would have noted there's a complexity to it. Did you note there are two words that are repeated time and time again, and they're contrasted against each other? 
The first word is the problem of our flesh. 13 times. The second word is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to deal with those one at a time. And I want us to think firstly about this first word that Paul talks about, the flesh. It's mentioned 13 times in these 17 verses. It's obviously a very significant idea for Paul. And there's a contrast between that and the work of the Spirit. Now, the word flesh is used by Paul in a very significant way to talk about who we are at a deep level. But it's worth noting, that's not the only way this word is used in Scripture. Uh, It's a word that was commonly used, if I can say, of the human form. We have flesh and bones. Now, a very well-known verse which uses this word to speak of the human body is uh, recounted many times at Christmas. John 1.14, do you remember what it says? The word became flesh. What it's saying is, Jesus took on our human form, our flesh. And so that's what it can mean at the first instance. But when Paul uses it, he's thinking at a deeper level about humanity. And what he's saying is our flesh, our very being, our inner person, you could say, is something that is opposed to God. So to live in the flesh is to live according to and be ruled by our weaknesses and our sinful desires. Now, let me just put a few verses up on the screen to illustrate from Romans chapter 8. So I'm in verse 5, if you've got your Bibles there. Um, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And so the flesh is this sense of inner person that has these desires and wants. And you can live according to that inner sense of within you, your desires and your wants. In fact, it controls your minds. Their minds are set on what the flesh desires. It's our inner self that is bent away from God. And he says in verse 6, the mind is actually governed by the flesh. And so the way we think is affected by our inner person, the flesh. I did an engineering degree. I'd like to think I'm a rational person. Uh, who understands logic and can live and act accordingly. What Paul is saying is that is not the case. Your logic, your thinking, your mind, your rationality will actually be guided by your passions, by your flesh. And I would say it's an inescapable reality, and you see this in verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And that's the, if I can say, the reality that we live with, which our conscience reminds us of, is that we desire things which are not right under God. And they control how we think and what we do. And one of the fascinating things is the way people can rationalise with their minds what they want to do, even if they're wrong things. And that is the power of the flesh. And Paul's conclusion is in verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, I just want you to stop there and just take that in uh, because there's a sense of sober reality, fatalism. You go, is that what Paul's really saying? 
those in the realm of the flesh can't please God. In other words, in our natural state, we can't please God. Well, actually, that is what Paul is saying. Such is the overwhelming strength and power of our desires to turn away from God. Paul is saying it's actually not possible in our own strength to please him. And this is why change is so difficult, almost impossible at times. Because we've got a built-in force within us, and it's us, that keeps turning away. And I think if we're honest, we will know the reality of the strength of our inward feelings that move away from God. Now, it's worth saying, it doesn't mean that people can't do good things in this world. What it means is that we cannot, in the first instance, love God above all else in the world. And to love God above all else is how Jesus summarized all that the law and the prophets teach. And right behavior for wrong reasons doesn't please God because he judges our hearts. It's possible to do right things but for the wrong reasons that are not God-honoring or God-loving. Let me illustrate with a true story. Because I think we would like to think we can do the right thing. There's a retired Anglican minister, Philip Jensen, who was the dean of the cathedral here at St Andrews and a very wonderful preacher. And he tells the story of a man who came to his church and told him that he thought the Bible's view of human nature, the flesh, was too bleak. He thought we were better than what the Bible said. Now, he's right in the sense that he understood that the Scriptures do give a bleak view of human nature which is what we're looking at today. And so Philip said, well, I think the Bible's right, and I'm going to give you a challenge to help you see if it is right in your own life. So he said, go and be good for a week. Just go and try it. And then come back next week and tell me how you've gone. And the man said, yep, I can do that. Now, a week later, he sheepishly returned to church and Philip asked him, how did he go? It's a true story. And the man responded by saying, it was unrealistic because it was too open-ended being good. <laughs> so Philip said to him, okay, let's just be specific. Let's just pick one thing from the Scriptures that you could highlight is an element of being good. I challenge you to go away and for a week... Tell the truth and never lie. And the man said, done. I'm going to go and do it. A week later, he returned, claiming that the challenge was unfair. Philip asked him, why? You agreed to do it? He said, yes, but I've just started working a new job as a real estate agent. <laughs> True story, okay? Now, I tell that not to have a go at real estate agents yet you laugh. <laughs> we are typically always optimistic about the human condition when we think abstractly. People are good. But when we look at the specifics of how we live, I think what you'll see is the Bible is spot on. It analyzes our condition with precision. We are weak and we are incurably turned in on ourselves. We are controlled by our flesh. And Paul says here that left alone, 
it will lead to death. And this is why change is so difficult. It's the uncomfortable truth we've got to come to grips with and confess about ourselves if we are to move forward. The mind and the body governed by the flesh is death. We are incurably incapable. Which leads me to the last point. The work of the Holy Spirit. If the flesh is mentioned 13 times in this chapter, guess how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned? 17. 26 times in the entire letter to the Romans, but 17 here in chapter 8. It's fascinating. If I was to ask people what you think is the chapter that has the most teaching about the Holy Spirit, I reckon most people, if you know your Bibles, would go to 1 Corinthians 12 because it's a very interesting chapter and it's got the stuff that's kind of more, if I can say, out there about the Holy Spirit in terms of his workings, the miracles, etc., etc., this has much more to say about the ministry of the Spirit than 1 Corinthians 12. It's fascinating in terms of references to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to pick out two important things that we observe here about the work of the Holy Spirit. The first is the Holy Spirit gives us fresh power as followers of Jesus. Have a look at verse 9. I've got it on the screen. One thing to note is most of the references in chapter 9 are not about the identity or the personhood of the Holy Spirit, they're about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our life. But there is this verse which reveals to us the personhood of the Holy Spirit and it's good to note. Verse 9, you however are not in the realm of the flesh. In other words, because you've come to faith, you're in Christ you have the Spirit. You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now, three references to the Holy Spirit there. First is, in general, to the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He's the Spirit of God. Next reference. He's also the Spirit of Christ, straight afterwards. If I can put it together, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. He is the Spirit of God the Son, at one and the same time. He is the Spirit of God, Father and Son. And it's all here in one verse. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, what's important, though, is this. That Spirit, Paul says, if you belong to Christ, you have Him in you. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. He is the one who's opened your eyes and enabled you to respond. And He now lives in you. The Spirit of the Father and the Son is in you. And that is profound. It's incredible. God is the righteous judge who is over all. But God is the God who is for us in His Son, the Lord Jesus. And He works in us by the Spirit of Him and His Son, the Lord Jesus, to confirm in our hearts and to make real in our lives what Christ has done on the cross and in His resurrection. Have a look at what some of the verses say. If you've got your Bibles there, verse 2. I love this description. He is the Spirit of life and He sets us free from the law of sin and death. In other words, the Spirit of the Son works in us to set us free. 
We're no longer under the law. We're set free from sin and death. He's wonderful. Verse 6, He is the Spirit who brings us life and peace. And He works in our hearts life and peace from God. Verse 11, when this Spirit lives in you, you have the Spirit in you who raised Jesus from the dead. Now just stop and think about that phrase, okay? How much power do you think is involved raising a dead body to life? <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's what Paul is saying here. The Spirit who raised Jesus up from the grave is in you. It's incredible. He is the Spirit who works powerfully in us and we are filled with His power. As we think about people's lives being transformed and breaking free from the power of our flesh and our habits and predilections that dog us, we need to realise there is a power that comes from God's Spirit that works in us and will enable us to change and be transformed. I loved listening to Shaley's story because there's a very important theological truth there about the work of the Holy Spirit that she wasn't reflecting on theologically, she was reflecting on experientially because the Word of God and the Spirit of God are always together in Scripture and you saw her talking about how as she read the Bible, the Spirit of God was at work in her life to bring change. And that's the power of the Word. As the Spirit brings it to life, it brings us to life in Christ. As we read the Gospel and understand where we stand with God, and as we hear Him calling to Him to now live for Him. And she spoke so beautifully of how these changes just took place without her even thinking about it she was being changed by God and that's the work of the Spirit that works in us as the Word of God comes alive and if you're a Christian here today and you are struggling in your walk with, uh, with God in terms of issues that may be at work and play because of your flesh you also need to realize you have the Holy Spirit that you can call on and you need to be confessing your weakness and calling upon His strength. Verse 13. Is that the one I've got? No, sorry, I'm slightly behind. And if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And I think what you find here is a very important clue in terms of how change works for us as Christians. God does not expect that you will obey Him without His involvement. So He doesn't think, just go and be transformed. But God does not expect us to change without our involvement. So it's not without His involvement, it's not without our involvement. It's actually Him and us working together. We are convicted by the Spirit about how we need to change and we pray for Him to give us strength to change and He will work in us and in our hearts to enable us to change. 
by the Spirit, you can put to death the misdeeds of the body. Not by your own strength, but by His strength, you can put to death the misdeeds of the body. We are involved and He is involved. And that is the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. He gives you the power and the insight and the ability to do that. And it's why it was so wonderful to hear about the way Shaley has changed. But secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. And for me, I find these the most profound words in this section that we've had read today. Let me reread verses 14 and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Just think about what He's saying here. The Holy Spirit helps you look up and know that God is your dad. And I use that language deliberately because this word Abba Father, or Abba, and it's actually repeated Father, is a familiar, if I can say personal, address of God as your dad. It is so wonderful, it is powerful. God is not some God who is just over us as judge, He is that for the world. But because of Him being for us in Christ, the Spirit helps us to know that the new reality is we address Him as Father. Let me give you my own personal testimony on that. As many of you will know, my dad died when I was two. And so for all of my life, I've never had a father figure in my life. Mum never remarried. And my kids asked mum, did she ever go on dates? She said she only went on two in her entire life afterwards. And my dad died at 36 years of age. She's now 91. And she wryly said to my kids, well, I looked around and saw what happened to other women in my situation and I didn't want to be babysitting some old man. Anyway, that's my mum. <laughs> and she's had a very happy life. But I had no dad in the house. And when I came to faith, two things profoundly struck me. I think for the first time I realised, and I'd found out in my conversion story that my father was a Christian. And I realised that my earthly father was actually in heaven. But profoundly, my heavenly father was here with me on earth. And I can't tell you what a profound reality that was for me. Having walked through life with just my mum, but literally having to kind of make my way, to know that my earthly father I would one day see because he's in heaven, and my heavenly father was now with me for all time and here on earth. And that's what Paul is saying. And it's so important, I think, in terms of the context of the question of change, because you think about families. What is one of the most powerful things for children thriving as they grow up? Is it not parents who are with them and who love them and who cheer them on? 
And which kids don't do well? Is it not so often kids who've not been loved, they've had parents that have disapproved of them, and they have never really spent time with them? And friends, we can change because we have our Heavenly Father with us, loving us, cheering us on. If I can use that language. And He is in us by His Spirit. And verse 16 says, I think, some profound words. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, God doesn't just want you to understand that there is a salvation. He wants to you to know it and to experience that you belong to Him. He wants you to know that you are loved and that you belong. His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are His children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And friends, when you're in that relationship with God, there is a power to be changed, to become like Him. He is for us and He is working in us. And we are His. And so friends, that I think gives you the power to lay down our sins and look up to heaven and go, help me, Father, because I want to be your faithful son and daughter. Help me to live the way you want me to. And if you don't know this great reality of being part of God's family and God for you and working in you, I would say, come and speak to me afterwards. Come and speak to one of the staff because it starts simply with inviting Christ into your life as Lord and Saviour and turning to Him and trusting in Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to stop and acknowledge that you love us, that you are for us, and profoundly you work in us. Help us to be transformed, Lord, by your powerful, your gracious, your wonderful Holy Spirit. Help us to know from the depths of our hearts that we belong to you as your children, your sons and daughters. Help us to have our hearts filled with love. Help us to know there is no condemnation for us now that we are in Christ Jesus, that we've been set free from the spirit, from the law of sin and death. And help us to want to live in a way that honours you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.